welcome to Copper Couriers the Conduit, your connection to what's happening in Arizona. For most Arizona schools, summer break is officially in session. But now teachers are wondering, when will it end? Classrooms are supposed to reopen in the fall, but no one is sure just how that will look, or if those plans will change. We spoke with superintendents from Cochise County and Maricopa County, and they gave us a few ideas as to what the next school year might look like. Some schools are considering hybrid learning, where students spend half of their day learning online at home and the other half of the day in the classroom. This would allow schools to spread out students and more effectively enforce social distancing guidelines, but would put students with limited technology access at a serious disadvantage. As educators work to find the best way to get back into the classroom, victims of domestic violence are also desperate to get out of the house and away from their aggressors. The Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse is one of the only organizations in Southern Arizona working to help victims of domestic violence. To tell us more about their work and how they're helping trauma victims whose daily routines have been interrupted by social distancing and isolation, we have an interview today with the Emerge Center's Daniela Munoz-Alvarez and Emma Fryer from the Women's Foundation of Southern Arizona. here at Emerge is that I'm the Director of Emergency Services, uh, pronouns she, her, and hers, um, and a little bit about what we do is so much. Uh, so we're the sole provider of domestic violence services here uh, in Southern Arizona, and a part of that is having different programs that holistically address the, the varying impacts that domestic violence can have on an individual's life and on a family's um, life as well. And so we have a range of services anywhere from our emergency shelter to hotline services that are 24-7 multilingual. We have two community offices available with staffed with advocates that are knowledgeable in different areas like legal matters, housing, you name it, uh, family matters, court systems, a, a lot of different uh, things that unfortunately victims of violence are trying to navigate on a daily basis. Uh, we also have support groups available for children, for adult women, um, and we have varying services for men as well. Can you talk about how the pandemic is affecting um, your work and the people that you serve? We're trying to uh, really tap into that resiliency uh, that we have as an agency and think th thoroughly and thoughtfully of how can we still provide services in a time where other programs, other places are shutting down or pausing. And it's important for us to maintain a level of presence um, so our community knows that we are here to support them and serve them in all the same very ways. And so we definitely um, had to think creatively of how we were going to do that. We moved to doing a lot of telecommuting services. Um, so that was incredibly exciting to see how we can jump back so quickly. Uh, to be able to not skip a beat in terms of the services we're providing. We didn't shut down our shelter. We remained open and just started to think really thoughtfully, how can we do that in a way that has safety always at the top priority um, of, of our minds and of our, our services. Um, that said, um, what I know to be true is that 
there's a lockdown that um, and not total there's a, a shelter in place but that has natural consequences um, that are not intended um, when it deals with domestic violence and I know that there are many people in our community right now who are in an abusive home and are unable to leave um, and for some of the reasons that were there before COVID and definitely new ones that are now present. That can include anything like um, not being able to leave because a lot of family and friends are starting to um, be a little bit more um, less willing maybe um, to have their doors open. And, and that makes sense, right? So when we're supposed to have social distancing, a number of uh, people in one place, it impacts the idea of bringing in someone new from, from the quote unquote outside. Um, I know that there are new tactics um, that are being used or maybe some similar ones, just in different ways. So um, there's not always physical violence present in a home where there's domestic violence. And so there are other tactics like control, um, control over someone's food, um, control over um, surveillance, um, the isolation of keeping from somebody, um, from being able to talk even over through Zoom like you and I are doing right now, um, from being able to go into the outside um, and a lot of blame. Um, so if somebody's considering leaving, then an abusive partner might blame them for the potential risk that they're putting their themselves and their children under. So there are a lot of different tactics that are being used right now that make it that much more harder to leave in an abusive situation. Wow. Um, are you are you seeing tactics like that increasing? Is there a way to measure that? I think the way that we measure it is through the times where our, our participants, that's how uh, we, we refer to those who are seeking support services from us. Uh, we hear it through their own testimonies uh, when they are able to reach out. Um, maybe they're finding really creative ways to be able to create some distance between themselves and the person they're sharing the home with that is abusive. Um, and they're sharing with us what that looks like for them in their home um, and that is through the zoom calls or through the, the hotline services where they're describing um, how this is playing out in their home so how can people reach out to you i mean obviously it's a really tricky situation right now and dangerous for many um, how you know what advice do you have for someone who needs your services absolutely so i think creativity is the name of the game right now right I first and foremost want to really stress that we are completely open and operating. Um, we don't yet have the ability to have folks um, come into our offices, but we have complete telecommuting um, services available and all they have to do is call our, um, our community offices and set up an appointment to do that. Um, we're looking at ways to equip people with the technology that they need to be able to have those conversations. And we also have our hotline, as I mentioned earlier today, that it's 24-7. And that's really important to stress because I would say to somebody who's experiencing that right now that you are the best measure of when it is safest for you to be able to reach out. And sometimes that looks like maybe when they're walking their dog. Um, maybe when um, they are getting the mail um, or watering the plants outside. 
um, maybe that's when somebody is sleeping. Um, and so that's why our services are 24-7 in the hotline. If someone in the community wants to help, if somebody watching this wants to support your work, how can they do that? So one of the top ways that I would say that is um, to keep conversations going. I think a lot of power is in silence. In um, keeping sub subjects like domestic violence taboo, I think that that's really important to continue having conversations with family and friends. Um, I think that if you know somebody who's going through abuse, please um, re have them know that they can reach out to Emerge in the different ways that I'm describing. Um, and it's important for folks to know that we don't have an agenda when they reach out. A lot of people, despite the, not even because of the pandemic, but they may not even be ready to leave that relationship. They may not even want to. And that's completely okay. There's no judgment on our end. Um, and that's something that I would stress um, to folks that are also trying to support their loved ones going through abuse is to not impose um, that agenda, that desire for us, uh, for them to leave that relationship um, and to not judge their choices because they are the ones that know what's best for them and their families. Um, so there's those different ways that we can support folks that are going through abuse and absolutely through donations. Um, we are definitely receiving donations and continue to, to accept them. Great. And they can do that on the website? They could do that through the website. There's a list of different things available there that are top needed items. And you can also bring it to our, uh, our administrative office. And again, all of the addresses to those offices are on our website. Um, and a few items include sanitizing items, those paper goods like toilet paper, paper towels, uh, thermometers, a uh, number of different things that you can see uh, through our EmergeCenter.org website. What are you doing to take care of yourself? What might you say to another um, person in a, a position similar to yours about getting through this time? I think it's really important that I've learned for myself is um, to, to practice what we preach, right? We talk about um, prioritizing uh, our care, physical and emotional, and that's so important during these times. Um, I really deeply believe that self-care is community care. Um, and it's important that we collaborate, keep that conversation going of what are you doing, here's what we're doing, um, so that we can do the exchange um, of information of, of, of those best practices, along with making sure that the folks that are reaching out to us that are at most risk and, and most vulnerable, um, that we are being mindful of how we are continuing to creatively provide support and services to them. Any, any sort of anecdotes about the last few months? There's several, uh, right there. I mean, one that I could think about is through the, that we can continue to offer meaningful support through, through these type of Zoom interactions. Um, one of the things that we are doing is providing really culturally specific uh, support groups um, that also intersect with domestic violence. And so we have one of our groups um, called the, the Sister Circle and um, the and the queens group and so in in both of those i think it is incredibly uh, meaningful to be able to connect with somebody who knows um, very similar lived experiences as as you might have 
and to look around the room and to see women who you don't need to explain um, the different ways that, that intersection impacts um, domestic violence. And not even that, but also our healthcare system or the services that you can um, access as maybe a woman of color. And so within those groups, it's incredibly um, wonderful to hear about the different ways that they can continue to connect despite the shelter in place through the use of this technology. Um, and to be able to hear that supportive voice um, still within your home um, and to talk about how this is impacting you um, through the different identities that, that you connect to. Who are your super sheroes? Who inspires you right now? I would say the women in my life, right? And, and that's across the board in my personal home life, in my, through my friendships, through my family, um, through my elders, and, and also at the women here at, at Emerge. Um, the leadership and the support that I receive from, from them, the, the community of sisters that I have um, within, within that group is, is incredible. Um, and so, yeah, those would be my sheroes. Um, yeah, but, but to be non-binary as well, um, I think that um, the people who I see here um, every day, um, past the hours that they were scheduled um, to be here, um, and continue to do the support to make sure that services and the quality of them are never jeopardized. Um, the, the tears, um, the sweat that I see people put through to make sure that people are, are feeling loved and cared for unconditionally, those would be my, the people who identify as, um, as those people that I admire. Anything else? Any other thoughts? Anything you wanted to share that we haven't been over yet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only other thing that I was thinking about in reflection of the questions uh, for today's interview is also whose voices are not represented um, at the table, um, typically at the table. And I know that this week was a really important one as we elevated the voices of missing uh, and murdered indigenous women. Um, and as we saw the, the, the falling um, of a individual um, who I believe, and I apologize if I don't say the name correctly, Ahmed, um, who was murdered in such a way. And I think that that's such an important um, opportunity through the way of this platform to elevate their, their story, their voices, in that um, it all matters, um, race matters. Um, and when we talk about COVID, when we talk about um, domestic violence, when we talk about social services, nonprofit work, um, in every single conversation that, that should be represented and, and elevated because um, if not, then we continue to lose lives where we don't need to. An intersectional approach to our work um, as nonprofits um, and as stakeholders in this community who have access to resources and services, I think things like outreach is incredibly important. I think it's um, incredibly important for us to consider what questions we're asking um, when interfacing with somebody who doesn't share the same lived experiences as you might have. And so it's really important to make sure that our services are led by the voices and the people who are coming to us for support. And so as it relates to, to race, for instance, I think it's incredibly important to ask them, what is it that they um, need from us to, in order to, for them to feel safe as they access the services and support that we can provide? 
I think it's important that we also ask for feedback um, and that we um, open and create a, as safe as possible environment for them to be able to be open and honest in terms of how we could be doing our work better and more diligently. Again, I'd like to thank Daniela Munoz-Alvarez and Emma Fryer for sharing their discussion with us today. For The Conduit, I'm Cameron Stevenson.